So 2 Peter, uh, the first two Sundays that we've been in it, so this is our third week, we have been focusing on, uh, the first week we focused on the precious gifts and promises that we as born-again believers receive. Okay? Now again, we, we have to understand that this is written to Christians. And when I say the word Christian, I don't mean it loosely like we do in America. I don't mean that because I go to church I'm a Christian. I don't mean because I check a box that I'm Christian. I mean that I am born again. If we don't understand the concept of being born again, then I may not be a Christian. Okay? And, and, if, and, and one, of the, one of the books that you may want to read to really gauge whether I am saved or not, or whether I am or you are, it doesn't matter, is read the book of 1 John, okay? But also we're going to come to find out, and that we already do know, but we'll be reminded here in, this, in these verses, is that we have received the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, okay? So the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. He is a seal unto our salvation of being born again. We're born again, and we receive the Spirit of God. So it's important that we understand that because these gifts and these promise, promises that we studied two weeks ago are for the believer, okay? For those of us that don't know Jesus, that have not repented, have not been born again, it is readily available for you, right? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten Son. It's not just certain select people. He loves everyone. And everyone, it says that, that he, does, he, he wants no man to perish, right? So everyone has the opportunity to either accept Jesus and what he's done on the cross or to reject him, right? And it, and it might not be an outright rejection of where you're verbally going to say, I reject you, God, but not accepting God is rejecting God. And that even might look like something super simple and innocent. So I want you to be mindful of that. Again, the precious and, and the great and precious promises and gifts that we receive are for those of us that are in Jesus Christ. And, and Peter specifically says in verse, in verse, um, where is it? Verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, to those who have obtained like precious faith. Right? So it's to everyone who has obtained this like precious faith that Peter has, and it's the same fa faith that you and I can have. Right? It's the faith that we receive from God, which comes from his word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God, okay? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why the word of God is so important because it is what is faith that allows us to receive the grace from God. Faith is what connects us to God in this moment, okay? In this life that we live in, it is faith that connects us. You understand that? None of us have seen God. None of us have verbally heard God but it is faith that connects us, okay? And when we pass, we're going to talk about this today, it's no longer so much faith because we'll be in the presence of God. How awesome is that? So let's actually read these verses. Peter says here in verse 12, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure, ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So Peter is letting us know that his day of death is approaching. Peter is getting old. 
right? I love when, well, I don't love it, but it's interesting how, how David puts it when he's on his deathbed and he speaks to his son. He says, I'm, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, right? It's basically that every one of us, every day that, that, that we live, it's one day closer to our death. Sounds pretty morbid, huh? It's like uh, time is, is one of the most valuable things that we have, right? Because every single day is a day less that we have. James reminded us that life is but a vapor. It's quick. And at the end of the road is death, unless Jesus comes back for his church in that time. But we go the way of all the earth. And death is, it's a hard thing. How many, okay, let me, let me go here. How many of you have experienced closely, whether it's family, friends, within your life, your short life, somebody that has passed away? So all, all of us have been affected by it, right? It is a, it is a hard thing to, to get through. Um, whether we know Jesus or not, it doesn't lessen the pain. You know, it, it really doesn't. It's hard. But we're going to come to find out that there is also beauty in it. And we're gonna, I'm going to explain why that is once we get to it. So Peter's approaching death. He's old. But in this text here, he wants to remind us of a few things. And he's, he's saying, I'm not going to be negligent to remind you of these things. You know, have you ever felt like, I don't know, your parents are always saying the same thing over and over again, right? Or you come to church and it's sometimes like we're saying the same thing over and over again. Well, Peter was that same way. And sometimes I feel that way as I'm teaching through the word of God, especially to a young generation where I, I have to just keep hammering at the point so we understand it. The same thing like a teacher in school. There's this repetition, this reminder that I continually have to say it because the first time we hear it, it's not always when it, it sinks in. And so Peter wants to not be negligent to remind us of these things. Now, what are these things? Because he says it twice. He says it in verse 12, and then he says it in verse 15, where he says, Moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So what are these things that Peter wants to continue to remind his readers? Well, it's more than likely the things that he's already said, right? The things that he's already said and the things that he's going to continue to say as he uh, writes this epistle. These things. He says, though you know and are established in the present truth. I love that. He says, look, I know you as, as my readers, that you are established in the truth. Listen, this is so important for you and in, in, in how young you are, okay? You are still being molded in your minds. You're still trying to, to uh, figure things out. You're still trying to understand, well, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do after high school? You know, all these things. And what happens is that we are a very influenced people. And it's important now that you have a solid foundation and that that foundation is built upon the rock of Jesus, who is truth. Jesus is truth. He tells us that in his word. He tells us that in John 17. And when Pilate questioned him, well, what is truth? Well, Jesus was standing right there. Jesus was truth. And we live in a world and we live in a generation where truth is relative, right? Where truth is what you want want it to be, which can't be truth. You can't have two truths that butt up against each other. There's got to be one absolute truth, and we come to find out that it is in Scripture. It is God's words that are truth. 
And so as you guys are as you guys are being influenced and you guys are heavily influenced because of the life that we live with social media, TV, news outlets, you know, we have information at, at our fingertips. And there's so much that we're influenced by and we have to be established in this present truth which is the word of God. And Peter wants to remind his his readers that he says, I know that you're established in the present truth, but you have to be always reminded of these things to continually be in them, right? Because Satan, what is the one way that he attacks people? What is like his one biggest way of attacking people? Temptation. Temptation, lying, deception. Those are all pretty much in, in one, one grouping, Right? He doesn't, uh, he doesn't necessarily attack us, you know, physically. I've never been, you know, beat up by Satan. Um, but he attacks God's word. Remember, from the very beginning, he's attacked God's word because God's word is what is truth, and the truth will set you free, right? It really will. It does. Now, in the beginning, he said, did God really say? And then Eve was like, hmm, did he? Right? And then he qu- questioned it. She questioned it. And then by questioning it, she wasn't established in it anymore. And so there's an importance to us to continually be established in God's truth because, you know, you guys, again, some of you are public schooled, some of you are homeschooled. Hopefully your homeschool teachers are great. But for some of you who are public schooled, right, you've got teachers who, you know, try to push agendas on you, right? Whether it's, you know, uh, an organization, a movement, an idea, you know, that, that you're not, you know, Regardless of, you know, the, the sex that you're born with, the, the genitalia that you're born with, it doesn't matter. That doesn't define who, who you are. That doesn't f- define your gender, right? You can pick and choose. You can. There's so much that's being thrown at us in this world and now specifically in your generation because that's not anything that I ever had to deal with, not even just 10 years ago, but now you're having to deal with. And, if, and as you stand up in your truth and you're established in your truth, you're then looked at as somebody who is, you know, narrow-minded or insensitive or unloving because you're not all-inclusive, right? Because you don't, because you're standing up for what is truth. And so we continually have to be established in this truth. And Peter and whoever is going to be presenting the gospel and God's word to you is not going to stop reminding you of these things. And you have to remind yourself of the things that God has, has said and the, God, the things that God has written. So, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know are established in present truth. Peter wants to continue to remind them. Negligent means failing to take proper care in doing something. You know, it reminds me of Paul. You know, like he at the very end of his life was like, I forget how he said it, but Basically, he said, you know, I, I presented the whole gospel to you. You know, like, I'm, I'm free of anything because I presented everything to you. Now it's your choice to accept it or to reject it. We continue to need to be reminded. So he thinks it's proper to continue to remind them, and he's taking the steps to ensure that they're reminded even after his death. We see that in verse 15 that he's careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. You know, one of the beautiful things is that, you know, I, I, we don't have to memorize the word of God. You know, like we, we have it tangibly for us. 
that I can take it anywhere I want to go. And so it's been established in this print. His words have been established. Now, again, uh, what I like about this is that he's always reminding us of the things that we already know, the things that we've learned in this present truth. And again, we live in a culture and a society, and one of the problems within the church as a pastor or with pastors or Bible teachers is they always, not always, is they sometimes want to be the guy that, that teaches the Bible in such a way that it's like, it, it like it's cool, and like you hear it, you've, you've read this passage, but you hear it a different way, in a new way the first time, right? And, and that's sometimes the pride within the, a Bible teacher where we want to be the ones that have the, the catchy saying or, you know, I'm not sure if I'm explaining this uh, really well, um, but one of the things as a Bible teacher, is, is, <laughs> as I've learned, is I always want to stay vanilla, just bland, in the sense of I want to simply teach the word of God simply. And if you ever hear of something that sounds like something you have never heard before, especially if you've been established in the word of God, it's probably not true. Can I give you an example? Two years ago, we were studying through the book of John. Remember, oh gosh, who, was the, who were the two guys that raced to the tomb to see if Jesus was still there? Was that Peter and John? Peter and John, and they race each other. One got there before the other because one was short and stubby and the other had long legs. Anyways, that's not the point of it. The point is this, is that as I was studying through that, and in that scripture, in that portion of scripture, when they, when they get there, they see that the tomb is empty, but there is a folded napkin. You guys remember this? There's a folded napkin. It was the face covering you know, that they, they put over the dead body, which was obviously Jesus, but Jesus was gone, but it was folded. So it's like, okay, well, Jesus folded it and then left. It wasn't just like his body vanished it and, you know, like left behind and his clothes just fell where they were. You know, it was folded. And so as I'm studying through that, um, there was this, this example of why it was folded that way. You know, I read commentator after commentator, and there was many commentators who used this story. And I was like, oh, cool, like, I want to use that story, too, because you guys are going to be, it's going to be so impactful. You guys are going to remember this, and you guys are going to be like, whoa, like, I never saw it that way before, right? And if you've never seen it that way before, it's probably not truth, right? It's probably something that I wanted to put into the Word of God to make it sound better, right? But sometimes the Word of God is just simply what it is. And so the, the story was, and I've seen people post this on Facebook, and I'll actually come, well, I don't have Facebook anymore, but there was one time where there was, and I said, hey, don't post this because it's actually not true. So the story goes like this, is that it was Jewish tradition that uh, when you were having dinner or lunch, when you got up from the table to go to the bathroom, you would, I'm horrible at negatives, you would, um, you would fold the napkin, right? And it was a sign of, okay, well, I, I'm, I'm coming back to eat, right? Now, if you were done with your food and you were leaving, you wouldn't fold a napkin. You leave it all disheveled, and, and that was a sign of, well, I'm not coming back. So what, they, what commentators thought was this Jewish tradition was, okay, well, then that's a sign that Jesus is giving us by folding the napkin based on Jewish tradition that Jesus was signifying that he's coming back. Is Jesus coming back? 100%. That's completely right. 
Is that what the napkin means? No, because as I looked it up, it's not Jewish tradition. <laughs> it actually started from an email chain like 15 years ago, and it wasn't, it wasn't real. You know, so sometimes we try to, you know, add these catchy things, but we got to be careful to be, uh, you know, just continue to remind us of the things that we know, the things that we're established in. Listen, the word of God is never boring. It never needs to be added to. It never needs, you know, our own spice and flavor to it. It's good enough. It's, l- it's life-changing without adding Jeffrey into it, okay? You guys don't need that. I don't need that. You don't need somebody else doing that, okay? We have to read the Bible. for it. The Bible is doctrine itself, okay? I don't bring my own doctrine and align the Bible with it, okay? So I am an empty canvas, and I allow the Word of God, the things that I'm taught in here, to speak to me as truth, okay? But again, we live in a, in a culture, in a society where we want the new thing, the new innovative, new concept, you know, the new thing, but Peter reminds us there's an importance of repetition, right? He reminds us that there's an importance of reminders, right? Uh, repetition and reminders in teaching the word of God simply. Again, every week you probably hear the same things over and over and over again, you know. But that's good. That's good. We need that. We need the word of God. And so he continues on uh, at the end of this. Or in the next verse, he says, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. So he tells us one of the reasons that he wants to continue to remind us, this repetition, is to stir us up. That's the title of our message today. Stir you up. That's what he says. As long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. Now, where is Peter, cam- or, yeah, where's Peter camping right now? In a tent. But where? What campground? You guys remember? I'm just kidding. When he refers to tent, he's actually talking about his physical body, not an actual tent, right? But it's interesting that he refers to his body as a tent. How many of you guys have ever been tent camping before? Okay, how many of you don't do that anymore and now you, you, you glamp, right? Glamping's like, okay, I've got an RV and I bring my whole house with me. I've got electricity, I've got my TV, brought my video games, you know, air conditioning, so before we started actually going to cabins for retreats, one of the first things that we did for our retreats was, was uh, tent camping, which we will never go back to ever again, okay? It was fun while it lasted, but we, w- no, it was a lot of fun, but it was so gross and so much work. But the idea, since, since most of us have tent camped before, and if you've never been, you know what a tent is anyways, but the idea is like you put it up and then you take it down right? It's, it's not something that lasts. It's the same thing when we talk about the tabernacle. It was basically a tent. It was something that could be moved and, and, and built up and brought down. And so when he talks about his body as a tent, he likens it to that because it's something that we have, but then it's also something that's taken away. My identity is not just in my body, okay? Because it's something that I wo- won't have necessarily forever. There will be a time when I will have a new body. Now, I don't know how it gets better, but it does. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know, it, but it gets better, and, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, too, so I don't want to get ahead, but he talks about stirring us up. Now, what does that mean? He wants to stir us up by reminding us, reminding us of the things that we've learned through the Word of God. Now, remember, recently we talked about the precious gifts and promises. Last week, we talked about adding to our faith, 
right? We talked about adding seven things to our faith, seven virtues, seven qualities, seven characteristics that are needed for us, okay? And I want to encourage you, again, it wasn't just a week long, okay, I added these things. No, it's a lifetime of doing these things intentionally, right? By putting in the effort. What was the word that we talked about last week about uh, actually putting in the effort? Giving all diligence, right? That's what Peter means, to actually put in specific intentional effort to add these things to your life. So it's these things that he wants to continue to remind us of, and he wants to stir us up by doing so. To stir up means this, translated from the Greek, it means to wake up and to arouse. And I think I've talked about, I, I referred last week about how sometimes we can feel like we're stagnant in our walk. You know, like, it, it, there's a monotony to it. It's like, okay, wow, Sunday came around again. And then next week, wow, Sunday came around again. It's church, you know, wow, you know, you've got to listen to the Bible be taught again. You know, sometimes there can be a monotony and, and, and stag- uh, us being stagnant, but we have to be woken up and stirred up. You know, sometimes we need to be reminded of the simplicity of the gospel, that we need to be woken up from our slumber. I love how Paul puts it in Acts when he says, uh, I, I don't have the reference verse, I'm sorry, I forgot what it was. He says, and, and do this knowing the time that now is the high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than we, when we first believed. You know, I mean, think about it, guys. We, we live in a time now where we don't know what tomorrow holds right? Sure as heck on Wednesday, I don't know what Wednesday is going to look like. I don't know what the inauguration, I don't know what's going to happen, right? I, I don't, some part of me cares, part of me doesn't care because I know also know who's in control, right? But knowing that everything that's happening on our world, it's time for us as Christians, the ones who have been in a slumber, to wake up. And P- Paul says, look, your salvation is nearer than it was when you first believed, Right? Again, it's the idea that day by day goes by, we're closer either to dying and seeing the Lord or seeing the Lord. Right? And, it's, and it's, it, we have to be aware and we have to be intentional in what we do with our time. Are we wasting it by you know, not being intentional and in sharing the gospel with people and actually living the gospel? Or are we just wasting our time, you know, wasting time? And that can look different for a lot of us. But we have to wake up because it is high time. And Peter wants to stir us up by reminding us of these things. We have to wake up because we've dozed off spiritually. You know, and sometimes we can become slack, we become tired, we become sleepy, but it's time to be aroused and awakened. And I know you guys, you're teenagers, so you're always tired, right? But it's time to wake up. It's time to be intentional. And we have to be reminded of these things how important they are. Now, what are some of the ways to be reminded or stirred up to be woken up? Well, I'll tell you this. You're doing one of them right now. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, is the frequent assembling with other Christians. I don't, sometimes I think we forget how important that is. Again, I'll tell you, when I was sick with the virus, and, and, and this isn't to undermine it, because it has obviously killed people. But I'll tell you this from my perspective, that I felt more unhealthy not being with other Christians than actually having the virus, right? When I had to quarantine for, I don't remember how many days, it felt like eight months. 
But it's important that we understand, again, the importance of being together. In Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, it says this, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I mean, do you see the coincidence here over and over again? I mean, the day's approaching. It's high time to wake up, right? The, the, the day of our salvation, or day of, of the Lord, is, is even closer than it was than when we first believed. I mean, it's important that we understand this. And I know you're thinking, well, I'm young. I have, I have so much life to live. Well, let me tell you, it hits you quick when you realize, whoa, where did the time fly? I'm old now. You 16, 17, 18-year-olds probably think that right now. You're like, wow, I'm so old, you know? But, and again, it's all relative, but you have to understand, we don't know and we are not promised tomorrow, right? Whether that's for all of us <laughs> or whether that's just for one of us, we don't know what tomorrow holds. Life is but a vapor. So we have to be intentional with what we do with our time. But one of the ways that we are stirred up, one of the ways that we are woken up and we're, we get out of our slumber and out of our sleep is to do this, what we're doing, and to be intentional in how we do it too. Not just to show up late and to leave early and we never talk to one another, that you guys never talk to one another. Do you, do you know how many adults do that and it's so annoying that there are so many adults in our church, I don't know who they are because all they do is show up 10 minutes late and they leave 10 minutes early and I can't talk to them in the middle of service so here's this people who have been here for two years, and I don't even know their names. And it's not my fault, right? So there's an importance to our, our fellowship. Acts 2.42, one, one of the four core foundations is, is koinonia, is the fellowship that we have, for one another, have with one another. And there should be love and community, right? Like we should see each other outside of these four walls. We should be talking to each other outside of these four walls. And that goes beyond just our church, but there's a community, the body of Christ. And so we, we should not neglect be, being together, regardless of what may be stopping us. You know, for a lot of people not coming to church right now, it's for good intentions. It really is. You know, some people have been threatened, well, if you, if you go to church, then you can't see your grandkids, right? Or, you know, if you go to church, well, you, you don't love us because... You know, I'm high risk, and then you come around me, and I want to say this in a very loving way. That Jesus specifically tells us in the Gospels that we either, that, that sometimes we have to choose him over our family. If that means I can't see my grandkids, well, I don't have grandkids, but you know what I mean. If I can't see my grandkids, but I'm able to go to church, so be it, you know? There's, there's a right way of doing this. And I'm, I'm not saying the people that have decided, you know, to not come to church are wrong. That's between them and Jesus. When I stand before Jesus, it's going to be me and him, okay? So I got to focus on my own self first. But, and, and that's where I stand with that. And I know it's not an easy thing to say either. But we have to understand the importance of assembling together. And who knows what the future is going to hold. Maybe this virus goes past us. But then maybe we actually start actually facing persecution, you know, where w our rights start to be taken away and we start to be threatened with certain things. Are we, are we going to then still 
stay home or are we going to find a way to meet, whether it's in this building or somewhere else? Because the assembling of the body of Christ is vital. It's important. It's what keeps us healthy. Okay? Again, I saw Pastor Kevin over the break. We were social distanced because I was still in quarantine. But I saw him when I was quarantined, and I told him, I said, look, I had only missed church one week. And I said, um, I said, I know that I can have a relationship with Jesus without the church. That's 100% true. I don't need you guys to have a relationship with Jesus, okay? You are not dependent so much on my relationship. Again, I'm standing before Jesus on my own. But at the same time, I also knew the, the importance and how crucial the church was for my health and my growth. Okay, I understood that. And it's one thing that he tells us that we're in Hebrews, the importance of it, that we're, we're to stir each other up to love and to do good works, right? To exhort one another. You know, and it's, it's important that we understand when we come here on Sundays, again, that we don't just not talk to anybody, but that we're intentional in what we do, that we love, that we exhort, that we stir each other up to do good works. So let's continue. He says, yes, I think it is right as long as I am this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that surely I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Just as our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, he refers to his body as a tent or a tabernacle. In other words, it's just a temporary housing for his inner man. Matthew chapter 10 says this. This is Jesus speaking in verse 28. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Interesting, that shows us that the soul and the body are separate, correct? Yes. Now, who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul? Any one of us, right? We can kill the body, but we cannot kill the soul. But he says, rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And who is able to do that? God alone, right? The creator of our body and our soul. The creator is always more important and always more powerful than its creation. I don't, ca- I don't care what Hollywood tells you, okay? It's not like robots are going to one day become more powerful than us, okay? No, but even more so, th- think about this. Throw this out there for you. We, when we create stuff, how do we do it? What do we do it from? Things that already exist, correct? Do you know how creative that and powerful God is? Is that he created things that didn't. He created things from what didn't exist, Think about that. So God, who created us, is more powerful than us. So he has the ability to both destroy the body and soul in hell. Now, does he want to do that? No, that's not his desire. He doesn't want anybody to perish. But because he's a just God, if you reject his free gift of grace and salvation, then he has to do that because he is a fair and righteous judge. Okay? So, But the point is, is that our body is separate from our soul. Now, the Bible presents death as a separation, okay? It's not the end-all, be-all. It doesn't just, you know, game over and, you know, that's it, okay? It is game over and that's it in the sense of this is your one time to either accept Jesus or not because there's no second chance. But there is a life beyond what we live Right now, the physical death is the separation of the soul from the body, and a spiritual death is a separation of the soul 
from God. Now, why does death even exist? Because God did not create us to die. Interesting, huh? That God did not create us to die. Well, we obviously know, and if you don't know, death is the result of our sin. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is what? Death, right? Basically, the consequence of sin is death. Now, the whole world, all of humanity is subject to death, even Jesus, because he became a man. In Romans 5, 12, it says, by one man, sin entered the world, and, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And in Genesis, at the very beginning, God warned Adam that the penalty for disobedience would be death. He said, you will surely die. If you eat of this fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Did he die? Eventually. I mean, he lived like 900-something years, right? But he eventually tasted death, correct? And even worse, he experienced an immediate spiritual death, which obviously caused him to hide from God and to cover up his nakedness after he sinned. And obviously, again, Adam experienced a physical death later. And on the cross in Matthew 27 and in the Gospels, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus experienced a physical death as well. The difference between Adam's death was that he died because he was a sinner, and Jesus' death, who was not a sinner and who had never sinned, he was a perfect human and a perfect God, chose to die as a substitute for sinners. He took our place. Hebrews 2.9 tells us that. And then Jesus showed that he had power over death, not by dying, but by what? Huh? By conquering death, by rising again, right? On the third day, he rose again. And that's why we're able to say, because of Jesus, that death has been defeated. And that's why 1 Corinthians reminds us and says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? There is none. But for the unsaved, those who are not born again, death brings to end the chance to accept God and his precious gift of grace and offer of salvation. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So for those of us that know Jesus, we're ushered into his presence immediately. Right? Because Paul says this, because Paul has the same idea of the body and soul as Peter does here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, this is what Paul says about death. He says, For we know that if our earthly house, and he's speaking to believers, born-again believers, okay? That if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. That's us presently right now, verse 6. That while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Again, it is faith that connects us to God in this present time. But he tells us that once we die, that we are no longer absent from the Lord. We're absent from our body, which means we're present with the Lord. He says, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body than to be present with the Lord. Interesting. 
again, death is just a, for believers, it's just a means of a way to be in the presence of God. Does that lessen the hurt and the pain of somebody that we know that has, and I think, you know, within our body here, uh, in the past year, two years, there was a point where we had a funeral every month. I mean, it was, it was consistent of a month, every month, that there we, we held a funeral for somebody within our congregation. And it made it, you know, it makes death even more real when it's something that you experience and you're, you're close to, you know, when, when you actually know somebody. And we have to understand that death is real, and it's not something to scare us, although it can be scary if you let it consume you. But it's a beautiful thing because it is something that ushers us into the presence of God. And there's a reassurance for those of us that have any loved ones that have passed on that repented and received the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, that they are immediately in the presence of God. That every pain and suffering that we have ever experienced on this earth is gone. Like that. How awesome is that? Now for those of us that are struggling with, well, I don't know if they were saved or not. That is something that you may have to struggle with, and it's something that we also have to understand. One, God is gracious, but God is also just. And it, it should put an urgency in us to share the gospel even more with people that don't know Jesus. Because to perish without Jesus is eternal damnation. Do you know what makes hell hell and heaven heaven? Do you know why heaven's so awesome? It's not because of the gold roads. It's not because of the wonderful stuff that we'll receive or all the, all the awesome things. It's because of God. It's because of the presence of God. You know what makes hell hell? It's because there is no presence of God. Right? So we're going to receive a house that we see in 1 Corinthians 5, a house that's not made with hands, but it's eternal in the heavens. So our future bodies, and we will have bodies, okay? They just are not going to probably look like what you have right now. We have future bodies that are not made with hands. God specially and specifically makes them to suit the environment of eternity in heaven. They are eternal in the heavens. In John 14, 2, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, the literal wording of the ancient Greek word here for mansions is, is really translated dwelling place or a place to stay. It's interesting. So this building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal heavens, it will be a glorious place for us to stay, a mansion for all eternity. It's a place that Jesus has been preparing for us since he ascended into heaven and Paul says that we groan for this as Christians. Well, why? Because there's something better to come, right? There's something better to come. It's not that, like, I want to die, right? But I know that if it does happen, there is something better to come. I am looking forward to Jesus returning. I'm looking forward to that time when I'm not on earth anymore. And now I'll challenge you with this. If we are not looking forward to the returning of Jesus, then we love the world too much. We are comfortable. We are way too comfortable. And I think one of the reasons that we receive pain and suffering in this present time is because it reminds us that there's something better to come and it takes our focus off the world. You know, we become too comfortable and again, stagnant. It's time to wake up. 
Paul says that mortality will be swallowed up in life. So our new bodies will not be subject to death, will not be subject to mortality. Remember, death is swallowed up in victory. And while we're at home in this body, we are present, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. But to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. So immediately we'll be in the glorious presence of Jesus Christ. I love that. Verse 14, let's pick it up. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. So Peter knows that he's going to die soon. That is time that he's going to, as David said, he's going to go the way of all the earth. He speaks of his impending death and that the Lord has shown him his death. Interesting. I don't know what that means. I don't know even know what he's um, implying to. He doesn't really specify what it is. It could be a reference to John 21 when he restored Peter. Do you guys remember that? Let me read it for you really quick. John 21, 18 and 19. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, he's speaking to Peter, Jesus speaking to Peter, when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. So interesting. I don't know if that's a reference uh, here in this verse 14 to John 21 or not. But that is something that Jesus told Peter. So Peter says that he's going to put off this tent. Again, referring to his body. There's a differentiation between the soul and the body. Okay? A soul in the body. And he says at the end of verse 15 that he talks about after my decease, that he's putting off. It, it, it's almost like there's this exodus that he says. Okay, this word exodus, which obviously we know what that means. It means to depart, to exit. That's why we get the book of Exodus, because of them leaving Egypt, correct? So Peter's talking about him exiting his body, departing his body, and being in the presence of God. Now, we, we can often have a, have you guys ever feared dying? No? No? Okay, maybe you're not old enough. I don't know. I, I'm, I, even just recently, I, I was like fearful of it. You know, and sometimes fear can come out of nowhere. Sometimes, you know, fear, there, there's nothing that, that, can, that leads up to it. But there is a, a reassurance in God's truth that we don't have to fear death. Like, again, I don't want to die. Like, I don't know how I'm going to die. I don't want to get hit by, like, a truck or something. Or, you know, I, I don't I want to, like, die in my sleep. You know, I think that's what everyone wants to do. But um, more so, I'm more afraid of the physical part of it, if it's going to hurt, than the actual what's going to happen after. Because I have a reassurance in God's word. I have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit that I know I'm born again. And he tells me that once I am dead, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And so there's, there's a reassurance to my fear that that will happen. And it helps us keep things in proper perspective. So verse 15, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So Peter again refers to it twice, of these things, the things that he has taught his readers, the church, that he wants them to be reminded of them even after he's long gone. And Peter's been dead for thousands of years, right? And yet here we are being reminded of these words that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
And so we have to be careful. We have to be reminded of these things. We have to be established in the truth. And we have to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Right? It's something we learned for the past two weeks. Adding to our faith and growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because listen, if we are not growing, if we're stagnant, this has been a theme for the past three weeks, if we're stagnant, if we're not going to wake up, then we are possibly dead spiritually, or we're not growing, which is not good. It tells us, Peter tells us in verse 9, or in verse 8, he says, if these things, the things, again, these things, again, he's referring to these things, are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. He says, look, if we, if we stay in this way and we grow, we will never stumble. So it's important that we wake up. He's, reading, he's, he's writing these things to stir us up, to wake up, to, to follow after these things. Because the day of the Lord is approaching, whether Jesus is returning or your death is approaching, we have to be really intentional in how we live our lives. Really intentional. You need Jesus. And once you figure that out, you know that everyone else needs Jesus too. And that you play an important role in that. Sharing the gospel. And not sharing the gospel and just letting your life show it. Okay, Although you do need to live a good life and you need to do good works. But faith comes how? By doing good works? Does it come by uh, you living a good life and helping the old lady across the street? No, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans tells us how, how are they going to hear unless somebody is sent. And if somebody is sent, well, they, they're gonna have to, they have to teach. They have to share the, the word of God. They have to share the gospel. So do good works. But in, while you're doing good works, while you're helping an old lady, while you're doing community service, while you're doing these nice things, while you're being nice at school and, and nice to your teachers and your friends, also open your mouth and share the gospel. Share the word of God. Share the truth. Okay? Share the truth. We know the truth, and it's something that we should want to share with everyone else who is blinded and doesn't know the truth. It's something that can set them free. It's something that can bring them life.